Hi, and welcome to Deep Dive with Jamie Stein, where we take a deep dive look at all things reality TV, pop culture, and the world at large. I'm an intuitive and an empath, which means I pick up on the thoughts, feelings, and energy percolating in other people in the world around me. I believe there is meaning waiting to be found at every turn, if you're willing to see it. So join me as we dismantle everything from trash TV to high spiritual concepts and learn more about ourselves, each other, and how we're all connected. So hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Deep Dive with Jamie Stein. I have a big ear-to-ear grin because I'm so excited about today's episode. I have a very special guest. I'm here today with fellow podcaster, Taria Faison, of What Else Is Going On? I know a lot of you know her. This is someone who I feel is a bit of a kindred spirit in the sense that we both have podcasts that really take these shows seriously. Um, As you all know, I tend to look at The Real Housewives and the Bravo universe from a psycho-spiritual perspective. Taria really looks at it through a critical cultural lens, really looking at the systemic issues and the racial issues. And um, I want to say I find your content really provocative, really thought-provoking. It's definitely... um, material that has caused me to look at my own reactions and my own responses and to sort of question where I'm coming from. So it felt like a natural fit as we were getting to know each other to have you stop by the deep dive. So let me officially welcome you, Taria. Thank you, Jamie. I'm so happy to be here. As I've told you before, I've listened to you for years on other podcasts. I think I said I found you through Bitch Sesh and then I've heard you on so many others. I love hearing you. And of course, I am subscribed to yours. So I've been waiting for this. (laughs) (laughs) You've been sitting by the phone waiting for the call. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, I I find your energy to be fun. And uh, I'm already having fun. And so it's just kind of like a joy to sit here. And I'm like, yeah, I'm looking forward to diving in. (laughs) Having said all that, I really wanted to invite you on to deep dive Candace a bit and kind of everything she brings into the mix on Potomac. Um, I've just been so aware of Candace as what I would call kind of a lightning rod for controversy. In a way, she's so polarizing and she elicits such a strong response in viewers. And, you know, I've mentioned this to you before. I think I've mentioned it on the podcast, including me. I mean, for a few seasons, I was one of those people who felt so actively triggered by her. And I'm actually someone who's not typically triggered by reality. It's it's like few and far between that a reality TV show personality actually triggers me. And she was one of them. That said, I did end up really going on a journey with her this season where I found myself really having a new experience of her finding my compassion for her, appreciating a lot about her, and then watching, yeah, as there's kind of a whole conversation that's evolved around her, which is, yeah, the people who think, oh, she's asking for it, she's provocative, she's this, she's that, and then another, you know, um, voice coming in saying, hey, look, she's held to double standards, there's colorism, It's there's a lot going on here. So I know you have a very clear point of view on a lot of this stuff, and you also have a very impressively encyclopedic knowledge of all things Potomac. So I just thought it would be a good opportunity as the reunion and the season is winding down to like drop into Candace and let's really kind of explore what is it about her 
and her energy that is so provocative for people in so many different ways and maybe see if we can get some clarity on where these different lines are between, you know, what she's doing, what she's not doing, what's fair, what's unfair, what are the standards that, you know, she is or isn't being held to and just see where it takes us. I am ready for that. All right, good. So full disclosure to everyone at home, this... (laughs) This is a bit of a, it's not even a bit, it's a take two of the episode. Um, I, we, we started recording this the other week and I wish I could even say this was the first time this happened. It's not the first time it's happened. Apparently I did not clear enough memory in my Zoom recorder and uh, it stopped recording after a certain amount. So we aborted and now we've reconvened (laughs) and I guess just to kind of catch people up on where we were and then we can kind of jump back into it. You had kicked off the conversation by basically saying that you did feel that people attribute things to Candace that aren't even necessarily true in certain situations. And mm-hmm. you brought up initially the, you know, what you might call like the holy grail of of all conflicts on Potomac, the fight between Monique and Candace. And you were basically saying, you know, a lot of people were um, hard on Candace saying, you know, well, you know, watch your words, watch your words, watch your words. And it is that if you go back to that particular scene and you actually watch what she's saying in that moment, she really didn't say much. And that it was actually like the women around the two of them who were kind mm-hmm. of stirring the pot. You know, Candace got a few barbs in, but she didn't really say anything provocative in that moment mm-hmm. sort of to warrant the violence that people thought some people thought she deserved. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then my kind of counterpoint to that as the conversation evolved was that I wasn't so much looking at the words that were being said between Candace and Monique, but that I was of course feeling the energy underneath it. And that Mm -hmm. what struck me about that scene in particular, when I watched it every time I watch it, to be honest, is just how heated both of them were and how it really felt to me like when I watch that it feels to me like in that moment they hate each other like they both hate each other other. um and I mean there's so much to say about this I I guess the one thing I'll just say in this moment is it it always does make me kind of sad when I say that because it does remind me that they they really were close at one point Mm -hmm. and I think I think they both just felt so betrayed by each other. I think Mm -hmm. they both felt so misunderstood by one another. And in that place where they both felt so betrayed and so misunderstood, it felt like in that moment there was just such mutual hatred. So for me, the energy that night felt mutual. It felt like there was kind of Mm -hmm. a mutual escalation going on between them. Not that I think either one of them expected it to go where it was going to go. Right. Um, So that's kind of why I was someone who at the time felt like even though, no, Candace didn't in any way deserve what happened and Monique has to take responsibility for her actions, it also wasn't right for me to basically say Candace had no part in what happened because energetically it felt like there was a mutuality. Now, having said all that, where that started (laughs) to take us was, you know, we were then going to start exploring basically the history of what led up 
to that moment, you know, the history that sort of led to that, which I think would be fruitful in this conversation. And we were basically talking about how you track it back, right? The real genesis of the conflict between Candace and Monique really starts in the conflict with Candace and Ashley. So I was kind of thinking maybe we could pick up there because I actually like I want to talk to you about that and I have questions for you about that and where you are with that. (laughs) Having said that, I know I also just said a lot in terms of my summary. Is there anything you need to say in response to that or are you just ready to go back in time and let's get into it? Well, I will say that when we had that discussion and you talked about their energy, that gave me another perspective because I was looking at words. I was looking at what what we could see with the eye, not necessarily what we felt. Mm -hmm. So when you said what you felt, that makes sense because you have one person who was kind of showing her anger a little and you have the other person who's an actress who is a pageant girl. I love you guys, but her energy is something, is matching Monique's, which I didn't pick up on until you said it. And I can recognize that in myself that there are times when I feel like I may have this seething anger with someone, but I'm able to kind of be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I know that if they hit a trigger point, it is waiting to explode. So it really made a lot of sense to me when you said Candace's anger matched hers, but all I just saw was singing and twirling like, no, she was really trying to smooth it over. And you saying they both were hurt. I definitely believe they were hurt. And people know I wasn't Monique's biggest fan, nor was I Candace's fan. They were in the same bucket for me, but I liked their friendship, Mm -hmm. which was unexplainable to me. (laughs) Oh, so that's interesting to me. So does that mean that you're, because I experience you as someone who's very kind of I mean, I don't know if I quite want to say pro-Candace, but I experienced you as someone. Yeah, you were very pro-Candace. Did that evolve since that fight? I'm curious, why didn't you like her initially? Because she was very smart. She's very good with her words. I think it was the confidence in which she said that because she reminded me of myself. Because I know that I can take my words and I could really hurt you if I wanted to. And I was actively working against being that person. And now I'm seeing that person who is okay with being that person. But it was just like, uh, that's me. I can, I can be her. I can be a Candace. But Candace is somehow able to be comfortable in delivering the truth in a way that, yes, can hurt people. But why do I pull? Why am I working actively to pull back sometimes when I really should be going as hard as she is in certain instances? Mm-hmm. So she triggered me for that. But it was just she was confident in walking in fully who she was. It, it almost reminded me of Ebony in a different way from New York, where she was very confident. And I'm black all day long. I'm talking about it. You're not going to tell me. And I was like, oh, the, these are confident women in who they are. Because mm-hmm. I don't really see the other women as really confident in who they are. Mm-hmm. Karen, Giselle, I really don't. So there was a resentment around the permission that she gave herself yes. to own her words, to own her point of view, to yes. go for it and to not have kind of a single second's seemingly moment of hesitation Mm -hmm. or like, yeah, maybe I should be modulating this. Maybe I should be Mm -hmm. thinking twice about what I'm saying. I'm just saying it. I'm going for it. And so that sort of struck a resentment in you. Mm -hmm. For her to be so confident, it was like, "Hmm, who do you think, who do you think you are pretty much? Who do you think you are to be confident and say it? And then not back down when they say, I didn't like that you said it because I would be like, you know what? My bad, whatever. But she's like, I said it. And I'm just curious, were you aware back then that that's what this was 
triggering you or were you just aware you didn't like her? I was aware that sometimes she felt like a mirror and I didn't like it. Okay, I love it. I love that you were actually willing to get conscious about what it was in you that was getting triggered by her. I guess when I defend her, because somebody, uh, shout out to my friend Quinn who called me a Candace apologist. And I said, it's not, it's situational. Meaning I can say if she was wrong and I can say that she said messed up things, but I don't hold that against her when I'm watching the situation she's been put in or watching people come after her. She's defending herself and there's still a certain vulnerability around her. Yeah, well, let's get into it because I feel like, I feel like you're bringing up really interesting points and what you're speaking to is what I got connected to this season and feeling how unfair the situation with Mia was because you know from my perspective that was something that was initiated by Mia and then I kind of felt like all the other women in a very self-serving way mm-hmm. kind of organized around Mia although I will also say ironically I felt like they did the same thing to around Monique. Candace to Monique but regardless staying on this season you know, that's where I kind of found my first experience of like, oh, Candace is kind of getting set up. And I felt that righteous anger around being misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I don't personally think that's always what happens with Candace. No, and so that's no. why I want to get into some of this stuff. Okay. But if we backtrack and okay, so since you brought in season three, right, let's even go back before things broke down with Ashley. Although I, okay. I'm really excited to get into the breakdown of things with Ashley with you. But if we go back to season three, I mean, it was interesting. Like I, I, I you know, sometimes I do homework for, for these deep dives because they're <laughs> deep dives. Right. And um, so I was like, let me kind of go back to Candace's introduction. I kind of want to just get a lay of the land of, yeah, what was going on when she came on the show. And so of course I went back to, um, I came from Jesus. Um, I feel like that was kind of like, that was kind of like her coming out moment, right? On the show. And it was interesting because to your, I don't really remember how I experienced this when it aired, but to your point, when I watched it, and I'm just going to remind people at home, basically what happened was, um, oh God, (laughs) it gets so convoluted, (laughs) right? right? But basically like Candace had been forthright about her situation with her mother and, tension between her mom and Chris and at one point oh it's so interesting sorry I'm I'm <laughs> having a little intuitive moment with Sharice but at one point Sharice kind of asked this shady question where she yeah. was like basically did your mom pay for Chris's wedding ring and it was kind of yeah it was a dick right and so that moment I think of course <laughs> Of course, by other women, I think it may have been Monique, got brought up again. They're like on yep. a bus going on one of their little yep, trips, going right? On the trip. Monique yep. brings up Sharice's dig. And yep. Candace, to her credit, I mean, she calls it, she was like, oh, yeah, you had a shady bitch moment. It really wasn't yeah. a big deal. And, she, and it's true. Sharice was being shady. And yes, at that moment and at that point in time, Sharice gets on her high horse. She yep. latches on to the fact that the word bitch has been used in reference to her, kind of mutates it into you're calling me a bitch. Yes. So then Sharice, in her shock over being called a bitch, it's like we're back in season one, like <laughs> yeah, etiquette, like- you know, like how dare you call, you know, Sharice a bitch. She refers to Candace as a little girl. And so in response to that, Candace, you know, refers to her as grandma, you know? So basically Candace is just giving it back. Yeah. And then once they kind of arrive at their destination and they're sitting down at this lunch, 
Giselle and Sharice basically make a lot of noise about like you owe Sharice an apology and how oh. dare you. And so it was interesting rewatching this because to your point, I was like, oh, actually, Candace really didn't do anything wrong here. I mean, this really no. was created by Sharice. Sharice couldn't stand the heat when Candace called her out on yep. on her dig. Giselle's just kind of stirring the pot all over the place. And so now you have Candace just kind of pushing back against women who are pushing against her. And in this instance, I can't really fault her for what's going on here. And so to me, that felt like a very clear, definitive example of a situation where, yeah, she's getting getting poked, right? She's getting Mm -hmm. poked and she's getting prodded. But also, when I listened to a podcast that Candace did that next season, Sharice was fighting for her spot. So they were both auditioning. And then if you notice that season, we saw less of Sharice. Before that, Sharice wasn't necessarily always in the drama, hollering and screaming. But interesting, she kind of bucked against Candace because even when Ashley said to her, and excuse my language, but her and Sharice were arguing and uh, Ashley says, um, go ahead with your saggy titties. Like even Sharice didn't get all buck wild then, but now you're getting buck with Candace. And it's like, oh, you want to secure your spot. You don't want this younger girl, mm-hmm. this little girl taking your spot. And she did. Well, it's interesting you say that because the hit that kind of came through when I started referencing Sharice getting in her dig, I really felt this place in Sharice as like looking at Candace as... Yeah, this spoiled little brat. Kind of like, you know, if Sharice in a way, I mean, to use the women's language, this is not my personal uh, way of (laughs) languaging it. But like, you know, if Sharice in a way has felt the energy of being a kept woman, you know what I mean? That she sort of, yeah, married for money, at least in part. And, And as we all know, it was collapsing. And, you know, I can feel even just saying that, you know, Sharice is a very proud woman. So I can feel her humiliation. I can feel the fragility of that. And then kind of seeing Candace as, yeah, like this spoiled little brat who mom takes care of, has things handed to her. Whereas Sharice, I kind of feel like I had to like make my way in a way and didn't really have anything handed to me in that same type of way. I could just kind of feel that resentment. And I think I'm bringing it in because again, as you know, I, I look at everything from, energy and energetic Mm -hmm. standpoint and so even as I was talking about the women poking at Candace I was like it's interesting right because Candace it seems like she finds herself in those situations a lot Mm -hmm. where people are poking so I get curious about that because I just know Mm -hmm. for me and you know this really is I, I apply this to myself it's like if I find myself in certain situations over and over even if Technically, I'm not doing anything to like, you know, deserve it, even if people still have to be responsible for their bad behavior. I'm still going to look at that as what is it in me that's sort of drawing this in over and over. So I guess I'm just sort of naming all these threads because it's just interesting to me to kind of feel this possibility from Sharice of looking at Candace a certain way and feeling a kind of resentment of like, what, like you spoiled little girl, why do you get everything? Mm -hmm. I'm going in. I'm going it like there's something it feels like there's something in people. And I think this also speaks to the audience experience. It's like you kind of just want to poke her. Right. You want to poke her. It's like it's not fair. Like 
that's Sorry. what it is. They want to poke her. And then when she has the audacity, first of all, she has the audacity to be comfortable in having parents who have wealth. And note that she's not bragging about it. You notice how Mia, who never had money, was always, I'm a boss, I'm a boss, I make $450,000 a year. These broke bees around me. Where's the chauffeur to park my car? She doesn't have anybody here cooking. Oh, this is low budget. Mia talks about money all the time. She never had it. Candace is just very comfortable walking in what she has and was open to the group. I find it interesting. People give the okay for women to marry for money or to be not have money, meet someone, they have money and I'm taken care of. But it's not okay for a parent to set their child up for generational wealth when in the black community, we wanna go to church and we wanna talk about, I'm working so my child can have a better life. Well, I'm assuming Dorothy and her husband felt the same way because they didn't have. So now I'm gonna work so that my kids, I can give them a leg up in life. The black community talks about that. I've literally been in so many conversations where the, the conversation is white people know how to set their children up to succeed. So we as black people need to start doing that. And then when we see it, we're like, wait a minute, you didn't have to struggle. Well, isn't that the idea? If I have it like that and I'm able to set my children up the way Candace's mom did hers, I would exactly do that. So you resent the very thing that you say we should be striving towards because Candace is comfortable in it. She's not trying to hide it. She's not shy. And then she has the audacity to be comfortable in who she is. And for some, not for all, but for some of the audience, this little dark-skinned girl has the nerve to be comfortable in who she is and say whatever she wants to say to me in her proper, I'm doing quotes, in her proper voice. Because I know for me, I used to be told by not all, but some Black people, you think you're white. You ain't Black. So now you have somebody who's confident in who she, who she is, the money she has, and how she speaks. And it's a problem for me. It's a problem. I heard a gentleman say his friend watched Potomac and Monique was like, I'm from the hood. I grew up, blah, 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 blah. And the friend loved her. And Can they were just talking and Candace said, oh, well, I'm not from there. You know, I'm from my parents with the country clubs and instantly he was turned off. Why? She wasn't bragging. They were sharing there where they were from, mm -hmm. but it instantly turned you off because she said, I'm from the country club. I'm not from the hood. Black people, sometimes we want to see people struggle. I had this conversation with my husband. Would you buy our kids brand new cars if they were doing well in school, handling everything they were supposed to handle, just being good kids? No, they need to start out with used cars. I said, well, I'm not saying like BMWs and saying brand new Honda, brand new. No. And I said, why? He said they have to earn it. And I said, but isn't, I'm not saying give it to spoiled brats. I'm saying if they're doing what they're supposed to do, why would you not? Because they have to earn it. Well, why do we want to make our kids struggle if they don't have to? And that's the mindset of people watching Candace, even though they say they want gen we should see generational wealth. Well, it's interesting that you're saying all this because it really did hit me. I don't know. I, today I was just, you know, skimming around different seasons, watching The Last Reunion and everything. And it really I mean, it's an interesting cast dynamic because what's so interesting about Potomac and it almost reminds me of New York in this way. It's it's kind of old school in the sense that you really do have a lot of women who are, you know, in this kind of archetypal role as the kept woman. I mean, you have Karen, 
right now you've Mia, you've Ashley, we had Monique, we had Sharice, right? And then it's just so interesting that, yeah, then you have this other woman come in who's, yeah, she's just archetypally the opposite. I almost want to say, like, in the archetypal conversation, she's this young girl, spoiled little princess, kind of has it all handed to her, the pageant girl. And, and I mean, I want to say in that has her own struggle. And I want to explore that because I do mm-hmm. feel there is a way in which Dorothy has really wielded the money as like mm-hmm. a tool of like emotional warfare. So there's like a yeah. price that Candace has really paid for that. But it's a whole different archetype. And I just I don't know if I want to say anything about that other than it just really struck me in watching this. It's such an yeah. interesting mix. And take that cast. Right. She's younger. Her mother is helping her. People overlooked that both of their names were on the property. And you heard Chris at the reunion say it was an investment property. Her name was on the deed. Black home ownership was less than 50% in the United States. So what are we going to do? We're both going to put in a down payment and both of our names are on the deed. Now you're a homeowner. People took such issue with her. Can we jump to New York for a second? What did Tinsley do for a living? And what money did she live off of? No one has a problem with that. No one has the problem with watching Tinsley live off of money that maybe she was left. Because even if it was left or an inheritance, it still comes from her parents or her her father. But people didn't have a problem with her, audience-wise. Well, and it's interesting, too, because as I was talking about that dynamic... Uh, in terms of like the contrasting sort of archetypes on Potomac, it did remind me, you know, I've, I've talked about this before, I think on other podcasts, but when the whole fight between Monique and Candace went down and, you know, I would kind of intuitively drop in mm-hmm. to things, I really, really, really felt, and I still do to this day, that underneath everything, underneath the claims of neutrality, that Karen really felt on Monique's side. Like I really definitely was. Yeah, I really felt that she was claiming to be neutral, but that her actual attitude towards Candace underneath it was kind of like an eye roll and kind of like little girl settled down. And I always wondered about that. And and, and I want to say I feel in Karen, like even with Mia, like I always feel a kind of uh, camaraderie or kinship or understanding with that kind of, you know, the underdog woman like that. And what is coming to me now as a possibility is just that idea though, of like a survivor, you know, and someone who's kind of really making their way in the world, in the way that they know how, which is like, you know, I'm going to kind of use what I got and I'm going to, you know, find a certain marriage. And I just wonder if that, if that was what was underneath Karen's kind of kinship and camaraderie with Monique. I wondered that too. And then, well, let me go back. Not wondered that, but the underdog, because Monique was on the outs. So now I'm going to film with Monique. I'm going to be here for her. In the very beginning, when Giselle, in the season one, when Giselle went over to Karen's home and they were having tea and Karen was telling Giselle about Potomac society because Giselle had moved to Baltimore with Jamal. So here Karen is the grand dame and basically she's presiding over Giselle. And in her mind, I think she felt a sort of not necessary power, but if there was a hierarchy, if there was a ranking, Karen felt certainly above Giselle, right? Society wise. So she's bringing Giselle in and she thinks they are going to run this franchise. However, Giselle and Robin become, for lack of a better term, the BFFs. 
and Karen is left on the outside and Karen is always the butt of their joke. So then Karen decided to go for every other, every person that Giselle went against was Karen's friend. Every person that Giselle hazed, Karen took them under her wing. I feel like by default, Karen fell into that role of the under, shepherding the underdog, if you will, because the underdogs always seem to be in opposition with Giselle. What you're saying is interesting. And I also feel like an actual kinship with okay. the underdog. Okay. But what I think is That's interesting cool. is we also know, to your point, that Karen inflates herself, you know, and she puffs up. I mean, that's part of what I love about her. She's, you know, yes. it's so fun. It's unintentionally funny. It's like she puts on airs as the grand yes. dom. So obviously, you know, there's something that she's compensating for. Right. Yes. So I feel like, you know, both things can be true at once, you know, and I feel like when I feel into that, again, kind of that soft spot for Monique, I, I don't know. To me, it just feels like this really real thing of like, I see the outsider in you. I see you as the underdog. And there's something in me that connects to that and relates to that, even if I'm not going to like own that role. You know what I mean? Okay, yes. In the show, yes. because yeah, I am invested in being elevated and I want to be the etiquette queen mm -hmm. of Potomac and I want to be the HBIC. I do kind of get this sense that there's something underneath all that hubris that uh, does kind of relates to the woman who's the outsider. You saying that immediately when you said underneath and the survivor and her being the outsider took me directly back to them being in Robin's hat photo shoot. Oh, yeah. And everyone at the table, Robin, Giselle, Wendy, Candace, and I don't think Ashley, but the rest of them all did graduate from college, right? And they start talking about something. And uh, they were talking about when, when Karen said Wendy wasn't a doctor and Wendy was like, I've worked very hard for my degrees. You as a, a Black woman should be supporting me. And she said, how many degrees do you have? And instantly you could tell Karen was kind of like, and then she was like, you know, it is not about a degree. I worked very hard. But when you said that about her feeling a kinship or like a, I'm sorry, you said that her heirs compensate for something. And then she felt a kinship with Monique. I almost feel like that's all rolled into one. And when Wendy said that about the degrees, that hit her harder than I would think it would because she is a successful woman. She's sitting on the same platform as Wendy, but it felt like an insecurity of hers. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why you just saying all that took me back to that moment mm -hmm. with her, with Wendy saying, well, how many degrees do you have? And even though they didn't talk about the other women's degrees, all the other women are degreed at the table. Outside of Ashley, she was the only woman that wasn't. Because I know I was going to college and then chose to step back when I had my daughter at a young age. So, well, I was 20, 19 going on 20. So I was at Penn State, this school and everybody in my family. I was the great, I was the great black hope, if you will. My mom had me young and she got a two-year degree. She graduated a year early from high school, then went to college and got her two-year degree. And now here's book smart Taria. Oh, she's going to this school and we're going to get football tickets and she's going to graduate. And she's so smart. And then I have my child. And then as I grow up, all of my friends around me are degreed. And I had to actively work to not feel less than when I knew I was just as smart, just I wasn't degreed like they were. And I kind of feel that with Karen a little bit. I felt like 
she was gut punched when Wendy said that. <laughs> I'm suddenly aware we're on a Karen uh, path. Right, oh, and, yeah. Right. Oh, God, but, we got to go back. Right. <laughs> I mean, but there's a lot there. But, you know, it, it does kind of also recontextualize just Karen did not give Wendy a warm welcome when this whole thing started. You could say it's like pretty transparent. Wendy is a very kind of accomplished woman who does have a lot of stuff under her belt and uh, definitely can kind of peacock in as, you know, a very yes. accomplished woman woman and um karen's so interesting because there is something so unbelievably transparent about what she does like she's she's not very good at like hiding her fake hubris it's 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 all so transparent and and she's smart so on some level you have to wonder sometimes like do you not realize how transparent you are but she doesn't seem to like I don't know how in on the joke she actually is and actually as I say that it kind of touches me because it's almost like this little girl like playing dress up and yet like I said Karen is smart and she's funny and she's dynamic so she's so interesting because she doesn't need to hide behind this fake hubris and by the way she's been humbled on the show and she's actually much more likable when she is humbled and -hmm. yet for some reason it's like she never fully puts the dots together of like I can lay this act down and I don't know why that is I'll say this Karen portrays herself to be a transparent person. Like her talking about her and Ray, she felt like she was being transparent with us. There's a difference in being transparent and being vulnerable. Transparent means I'm letting you, I'm choosing to let you see my flaws and see me working on my relationship with Raymond and my history where I come from, you know, a farm. I'm choosing to let you see all that because that stuff really doesn't hurt me anymore. But if I lay my act down and become vulnerable, if I'm vulnerable and I say, I can't carry this anymore, so I share it with you, now you're carrying it. If you drop it, you may break me. Mm -hmm. So I'm never going to be vulnerable with these women when I've seen what they're capable of doing. Yeah, and just to be clear, I totally agree with you. And I also want to make sure I'm being clear. When I was saying transparent, I actually didn't mean like she's, being transparent. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, you I got know, that. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I also, I, I totally agree. But I totally agree with you. And I've thought about this with her before too, where it's like, there's other, there's other women like this. I mean, I'm not comparing these two at all because they're so different, but it reminds me almost in some ways of like Lisa Rinna, like how Lisa Rinna will sort of trot people out and storylines out with her daughter and her mother. And it's got this flavor of, See, I'm putting my life out there, but it feels controlled. Like she's controlling the flow of information. And I totally agree with you. It feels like Karen does that too, where it's like, there's like, she decides kind of what's put out there and when and where kind of like what I was talking about too, with how Wendy and I think Mia were both trying to control their narratives this season. I think Karen in a way is more successful at it because she seems yes. to get away with it. But I agree with you. There's, there's this real sense of like, I'm modulating the exact flow of information, but yeah. you do get the sense. I, I know you're going to agree with me on this, that it's like, <laughs> it's just what you're saying. She's not going all the way there. There's stuff no. that she is fucking hiding. Hiding you, how you said she's being transparent, meaning because we can see through her. It's right. like she's transparent and we can see her planned transparency to the audience. It's, like we can see through you Karen like like you yes. said she's transparent so we could see through her and we could see her planning just how transparent she's going to be to the audience 
Exactly. That, that's what I mean. Yeah. It's so it's like it's so many steps with Karen. I think that's why she exhausts me sometimes because I feel like there's so many steps with her and everything is just so it's something it's just she's too much for me sometimes and not in a oh you're too much kind of way but oh you are heavy can we move on she's just so funny because it's like then I mean but what I love about her is that she'll (laughs) she's the woman who'll drunk dial the other women in the middle of the afternoon or you know just even last season like Again, to the point about her kind of, in a way, being really clumsy with all this, she'll yeah. just let herself get drunk on Fireball and start dropping bombs left and right about her marriage. You know, and the other women are kind of like, wait, Karen, what's going on? And then you right. can see her kind of panic, like, oh, shit, I let the yes. cat out of the bag. But it's like, Karen, yes. if you're a control freak, how did you ever let that happen? It's almost like she's at war with herself. Like, there's some yep. part of herself that wants to drop it. But then there's some other part of her. And this is what I find so intriguing about her. It's like, what is that part of her that remains invested in this act when it's kind of clear at this point, I think, I mean, again, this is my perspective. Maybe it's not clear to her. It's just clear to everyone. Like you don't, you can put this down, Karen. I mean, I want to say like, I say that and then I can kind of just, I can feel the part of her. That's just like, I can't like, it feels almost like if I put this down, it's just like, everything falls apart. Like I fall apart. I feel like her heart, like it just feels like, it feels like there's grief there, like real, yeah, yeah. real grief and real tears and just kind of like, I just hear this voice. It's like, I got to hold this all together. And if I don't, mm-hmm. everything falls apart. And what's coming to me when I say that too, somehow Ray's involved in that now. Like I'm Jamie, holding it. Yeah, go. I'm shutting my computer. I'm shutting my, <laughs> because I, I, in the pit of, oof, oof. oh, I didn't want to interrupt you. I was going to say. Ray is involved in that. And Ray is not necessarily who we think he necessarily, like. Well, obviously he's got secrets. I mean, look what happened with taxes. But yeah, keep going. I just feel like there's grief and the grief is around Ray. That's what I feel like. That's interesting. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, as people, I think, know by now, I always look at things from a pattern perspective. So I feel like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm sure you're right. Like there's grief around Ray. What that makes me curious about is like, what's the deeper pattern being reflected? You know, like, I just feel like there's grief in her. And so then now she's like in this situation with Ray where there's grief around that. But I do, I have this feeling like I'm holding it all together for me. I'm holding it all together for Ray. When you said that, yes. (laughs) Yes. I mean, this could just become a total Karen deep because now I'm getting curious about like the relationship that produced her first kid, but maybe we'll just leave it alone for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it's a lot. No, but I'm glad we had this conversation because it's helping me. I mean, look, Karen's actually been one of my top three housewives, so I love her. But I I will admit, you know, to your point, and I've heard other people say things like this. There are times where, yeah, she's a little difficult. It's just like, come on, Karen, like, just put it down already. Like, put it down, put it down, put it down. But this helps me to feel her more. So I'm glad that we we went on this journey. And I do think, I think that Giselle really hurt her. I really oh, yeah, do. Yeah. I, but I just feel like she was real. she felt betrayed by Giselle. Oh, you know? yeah. That moment where Giselle made light of the tax situation, and where the, which, by the way, was heinously cruel. Heinous. And I, for Karen, I think that whole situation, you know, for such a prideful woman who is all about how things look, Obviously, my marriage is an institution. She placed so much of her value and her worth on the appearance of her marriage to Ray. And so for that to be undermined in such a public way and then for Giselle to make fun of it, 
I really think that that was a turning point for her. And I think that's where she totally changed course in terms of how she plays the show. I always felt like her playing the middle, she plays the middle all the time now. All the time. But also playing the middle, you know, specifically with Monique and Candace, it really does come from that place of like, in a way, I'm not choosing a side because I'm not I'm not opening myself up to that again. I'm not right. opening myself up to be attacked, to be humiliated. I'm staying on the show and I'm getting what I can out of the show, but I'm walking the middle ground because you are never going to get me like that again. Ever. And she came back the next season with a Porsche and said, I'm debt free and loaded. That's how she came back the next season. And ever since then, it's been off to the races. I will say that moment showed her and should have showed viewers Giselle Bryant is capable of doing anything, <laughs> period. For her to do that, to me, I don't even know if I could do that to my enemy. You, we may talk about it and spar, but even Robin was like, mm, I don't know if you should do that. It showed me that Giselle Bryant was capable of anything. So like, let's go back to Candace and Ashley, because as we said, that's the genesis in a way of the breakdown between Monique and... And it was New Orleans. So I went back, I watched some of the end of season three just to remind myself, and I was like, okay, it's so interesting. So Ashley and Candace were in a good place at the end of season three. Fast friends throughout season three, I believe they defended one another. I definitely saw Ashley defending, you know, Candace at the Mm -hmm. I I came from Jesus lunch. So then we go into (laughs) season four. Right. And um, this is where things start to go south. This is like the prologue to the Monique Candace breakdown, where basically Candace has an issue with Ashley and her attempts at pregnancy. Candace seems very triggered by this. Candace has a lot to say about it. And she starts questioning. Yeah, the sincerity of Ashley's intentions around her pregnancy and almost by extension, the validity of her marriage to Michael. Now, it was helpful helpful for me to remember this stuff because this is really where stuff started to go south for me with Candace. And I guess I don't know if I should start by like presenting my take on it. I'm just curious, like if we just start right there, where were you with that? Because for me, it did really feel like Candace was coming out of left field with that. Like it just felt like she was making something, something that was not her, any of her business, her business, but doing it in a really invasive way where she truly was a dog with a bone. She wouldn't let it go. It did feel like her charge around that and her intensity around that was what started to set off the breakdown between her and Ashley and then the breakdown between her and Monique because kind of Monique started coming in saying, "Uh, Candace, slow your roll a bit. Mm -hmm. Candace didn't like that. Now, I kind of have my sense of what was going on with Candace. I'm just curious, before we even go like a few steps down the road, what did you make of Candace going so hard into Ashley's pregnancy journey? What did you make of that? Where were you with that? I feel like Giselle was a catalyst for that. Um, I'm going to go back and say Ashley and Candace were friends. So they go to lunch. Ashley shares that she had a miscarriage and her doctor and her basically talked about she needed to stop drinking. Waiter, can you bring me a Corona in the same breath? And she takes the sip. And Candace says in the confessional, wait a minute, are we having a Corona or are we having a baby? In my mind, if that was my friend sitting across from me, She's sharing this heartbreaking news that she had a miscarriage. You and your doctor have decided you shouldn't drink. 
if it was me and my friend ordered a drink, I would have said, what are you doing? You didn't say you were going to start over in three months and you're going to take this time off. You said you want to get pregnant again now and you're ordering a drink, but didn't your doctor tell you not to be drinking? So as my friend, don't do this. What, 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 what? And then I would be like, well, what happens if you have another miscarriage or what happens if you can't get pregnant? Candace goes back and shares that with Giselle. Giselle says, so what are you trying to say? You don't think she's serious about getting pregnant? Ashley's like, well, no, I mean, can no. She said she was going to stop drinking and she literally had a drink. No more discussion of it. They're out doing whatever. They all come back to the hotel and Giselle said, so Ashley, Candace doesn't seem to think that you're serious about getting pregnant. And she says it in a tone as if that's exactly the way Candace said it to her. And Ashley then immediately sparks up as anyone, as any woman would. And so Candace for a beat kind of sat there and brought up the whole, well, you were drinking. Oh, are you trying to police my blah, 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 blah. And it sparked off from there. So initially I felt like Ashley shared it with her friend. And now Candace is like, Ashley's not serious. She spoke on it to Giselle. People can debate whether that was right or wrong. She should have kept it to herself or shared her concerns with her friend, Ashley. But then Giselle brings it up in a way that makes it seem as if it was at the top of Candace's mind when they talked about other things in that conversation. And then it just blew up. That's how I took it. I mean, I guess what I would counter and I, yeah, I'm glad we're having this conversation because this is the place where I feel like we start to get into like, where's Candace's personal responsibility for the way that people respond to her? Because to your point, we do all have freedom of choice of how we deal with things right and so let's just even sort of go with that like Giselle is perhaps being messy Candace at that point could be like wait a second this is getting misrepresented slow your roll you know any number of things like she didn't do that like she doubled down on what she was saying and she directed it toward Ashley Ashley and and I guess like if you're my friend right and like everything's cool between us And maybe I'm noticing, like, yeah, you're mentioning that you and your doctor decided you shouldn't be drinking and then you're ordering a Corona and I know you've had a miscarriage. Like, I might process that as, oh, well, maybe she's actually ambivalent about trying because she's scared Mm. of, like, having another miscarriage. She's scared of being heartbroken again. Or if we're shooting a show, maybe it's that we're on the show together now so we're gonna have some drinks while filming but then like you know when it's time not to film like that's when there's just a number of ways that you could interpret this so the fact that Candace kind of took it to a place again with her friend like that's the thing I want to keep coming back to they were good at this point right the fact that she kind of took it to this place of I'm questioning your intentions and also kind of questioning your marriage when I dropped into it I felt this possibility of, I don't want to be clear about this. Um, I don't think that like Candace is jealous of Ashley's relationship to Michael. I don't think she wants that kind of relationship. I think she loves Chris. But when I'm Candace and I kind of experience Ashley as sort of like, yeah, I'm talking about this motherhood journey, but like I'm not really taking it seriously and maybe I will and maybe I won't. And it's kind of like what I call this easy breezy, like, like yeah, maybe maybe I'll do this, but I don't know. <laughs> and I'm Candace and I'm sort of seeing this woman in, you know, again, we're going to use the language in the sort of this kept marriage where there's a lot of money. She's living in the penthouse apartment. She has the luxury of being able to sort of do and say what she wants, not take things seriously. And meanwhile, I'm here as Candace navigating a world that to me 
feels comparatively smaller. I kind of live in a lot of ways emotionally, financially, spiritually under the thumb of my mother. And, you know, my personal experience of Candace is like, I'm a woman with a really big energy that's been kept really small. And I do feel from Candace this sense of like, oh my God, if it weren't for my mom, like I could have been X, Y, or Z by now. You know, it's it's that feeling of like, oh, there's like so much in me. There's so much more I could be doing. Um, but there's kind of this emotional hobbling that's felt like has happened with Dorothy. And so I always feel like with Candace, even though she's privileged, right, in terms of the generational yeah. wealth, my sense of Candace is like, everything I get I have to fight for because like even with the wedding it's like mom's paying for it but I fucking pay the price I have to negotiate this detail I have to negotiate that I mean in a way it's interesting Candace previously has kind of been like a kept woman in her own way the person keeping her was her mom not a husband and so I just kind of felt like with Candace and there's one other piece I want to bring into this but with Candace looking at Ashley and it's like you just get the luxury of getting to be like easy breezy, maybe I will, maybe I won't, where it's like I have to fight so hard for every fucking thing and this pisses me off. Kind of like what you were talking about, the resentment. Like yep. that makes me resentful. The last thing I'll say about this before I pause is I also think it's interesting if you look at the timing that this is Candace's second season. Mm-hmm. So like she's, cause the thing is the show, I think this is a woman who's been keeping things really, she's felt small. She's literally living in mom's house. Right. But now she's on this show and suddenly her platform's getting bigger. And I do think Candace is someone who really wants things to be healthy with Dorothy to be seen by, Dor- I think she wants it all. She wants her big yes. life and she wants her loving mom there and she wants her loving husband and she wants the approval. And I just, I, 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 it's hard for me to put my finger on it in a really specific way, but I just feel something around, Oh, my life's getting bigger. Like I'm about to get married to Chris. I am getting the fame and yet I'm still like Dorothy's not budging. Things no. still feel hard. I'm still having to answer for things. It's not like yep. the happy ending. I'm still navigating all this and I'm still having to make hard fucking choices. And yes. I just feel the anger of that. And so I wonder if that was kind of playing a part too of like, you get to enjoy all this and I don't even fucking get to enjoy it. Which speaks to when they say like, you're a little girl and the money, it's like, it's not about the money. Like Candace it's great having money, but Ashley has freedom. You saying you saying that. So they're constantly saying you little girl money, money. And Candace is not saying, but me, like you said, looking at Ashley, like it's not even about the money because Sheila didn't have money. Sheila used to live in a tent, mm-hmm. but look how free Ashley is. Yeah. From a certain perspective. Life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's that whole thing. Money can't buy happiness. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I mean, I think it's so interesting, right? Because, yeah, I've always said this. Candace has really paid a price for that money. And, I mean, it's interesting you brought up Tinsley. I think Tinsley's paid a huge price for that money. Yeah. But I think Candace has paid such a huge price for that money. And I think this this was part of the flavor. I think, because, again, I'm going back to, like, what is that energy that comes out that wants to poke at her? And, you know, one thing I will say about her, and and I, this is going to sound critical and like a judgment, and I, I don't actually mean it this way because I, I actually understand where she's coming from. But theoretically, right, if I were working with Candace, let's say, back before she were on the show, the answer feels clear. If she's really unhappy with the way things are set up with her mom 
And if it really feels like she pays a price for that, well, the answer is mm-hmm. clear. Guess what? <laughs> yeah, like exactly. Well, people can't mm-hmm. see what you're doing. But oh, like right. say no <laughs> to the money. Mm-hmm. Go live in a little studio if that's what you can afford. You know, start yeah. over. Like, be a woman who's self-supporting through your own contributions, and then call the mm-hmm. shots in your own life. And I think, and again, I'm not, I'm not judging this because I understand, I understand from the way that Candace was raised, like how hard it will be for her to see this as a possibility. Not to mm-hmm. mention, I mean, I'm going all over the place. I really feel. I just feel the place in her that does not want to let Dorothy go. Like I feel the part of her that is holding on to this relationship so hard. Um, But what I want to say is like that, all that said, whether it's unconscious, semi-conscious, misguided, what Candace was doing up until that point was basically saying, I'm going to take the money, but I'm going to keep complaining about it. You know what I mean? And it's a glib way of saying it because I do think there's actually really deep emotional wounds Mm -hmm. there with Candace and we'll get to that. But still, that's essentially what she's doing. And I wonder if that's part of like the provocative energy for people on some way. Like there's something in her where she's like, I'm going to play the little girl. Like I'm going to enjoy the spoils and the riches and be the little girl. And then I'm going to like, complain about it I'm gonna be mad Mm -hmm. about it I'm gonna say like it's not fair and it's like pick a lane you know what I mean like either grow the fuck up and like pay your own way or else like be okay with what's going on um I feel like I just said a lot all at once but no what do you need to say I get that and I I get the thought of pick a lane but then I think if that is her battle is it fair if I reduce it to (laughs) Just pick a lane because you have a Robin and Juan situation. Well, just pick a lane, Robin. Everybody has a struggle. Hers happens to be viewed as pick a lane. Either if you want to complain about this, then you cut the purse strings. And But to me, I look at it like so many people may try to hide that, but she's always been very open, which may be to her detriment because Karen told her at that dinner, don't tell these women. Well, yeah, the Karen school of like hide things. (laughs) Yeah, yes, yes, she sure did. And she's like, I'm supposed to be open. I'm supposed to be on the show. So I feel part of that because I know I would, I said that about someone that was in my life before when they would complain that their parents wanted to know where they were going And I said, you're 27 years old. They're taking care of you. You're driving their car. You want to go 30 minutes and have dinner with your friends and you're mad and you ask them for dinner to hang out, dinner for gas and you're mad because they asked where you were going and what time you were going to be home. Either deal with it or don't. So that was my mindset too. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, but that is what she's struggling with my now. But to me, because I'm like, I'm married with kids. You know, this was like maybe 10 or 10 years ago. Yeah, about 10. I'm like, I'm married with kids. We trying to figure out how we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And you think I'm concerned when they're giving you money and I'm over here trying to finagle and make things work. So I can see both sides of it. Because I agree with you. Like, I agree with you, of course. Of course, Candace is walking her path. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. she's sort of navigating the binds and the dramatic dilemmas that she's in. And it's true. There is a way that people, and like there was a time where I include myself in this, where it's like, ugh, get over it. Like, again, you're the spoiled little girl. Like, just grow the fuck up. Like, say no to mom's, you know, whatever, pocketbook. 
Where I do think she gets into trouble, though, there is kind of like, it's I am almost feeling it in my body. There's like a thread of responsibility that I think Candace disowns. So, like, let's just go with what I'm saying. Let's just say she was triggered by Ashley and there was resentment, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, she doubles down on that, right? And so then the other women are kind of coming in being like, Candace, like, calm down, right? And I think... I think what was going on for Candace there, right? Speaking about history with mom, it's like Candace is coming from a background where mom gets to do and say whatever the fuck she wants to do and say. Candace doesn't get to say a word. And if Candace says anything, hell to pay. That's what I mean when I say I have to fight for everything. Like Mm -hmm. every single word is dissected. You know what I mean? Then there's Ashley drinking a Corona while talking about like wanting to get pregnant. (laughs) Every single word is dissected. So I think for Candace, when the other women start coming, she's already connected to this place in her that's basically saying it's not fair that like other people, other women get to do and say whatever they want while everything I do is dissected. And then the other women on the show are coming in and being like, Candace, like you're going too hard on Ashley, like Candace, like leave it alone. And I think that sparks even more that sense of like, why does everyone else get to have their say, but me, um, it's not fair. And then, you know, Monique's sort of coming in with that too. And I do I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I I think at that point, Monique, it felt to me like she was coming in as her friend saying just like, hey, just Mm -hmm. cool it a little. You're going hard. It's not a good look. I'm kind Mm -hmm. of like trying to, you know, unlike Karen, truly walk a middle ground that feels fair here. And I think that's part of where Candace starts to feel betrayed because it's like, we're supposed to be a team. You're supposed to be on my side. Here I am in this core wound where no one lets me have my say. And like, Mm -hmm. you're going to pile on this too. And so the reason why I'm bringing that in is because I think one of the first turning points with her and Monique was that whole thing where, you know, Monique made a comment about Katie saying, oh, she's like a free spirit, like Amistad. Candace took that kind of related to Giselle as she was calling her a slave. It got back to Monique and Monique was like, why did you you know, essentially presented as I was calling that Katie way. a slave. And what's, so here's what's interesting. And this is, this is, <laughs> I'm taking the long way around, but I'm getting there. <laughs> it's like when you watch that lunch where they're hashing that out, Candace didn't really, again, she doubled down. She didn't really yes. say, because what I think was happening was Candace was pissed at Monique mm-hmm. and she was getting back at her for not yeah, having okay. my back against Ashley. And this is what I want to say about Candace. And this is where I think she's her own worst enemy. And I think this is where she she has a part in creating these situations. At that lunch, she did not say to Monique, Monique, I was mad at you. And so yes. I did something a little shitty, just like with the women. And I get that she was feeling attacked, so it's going to be hard for her. But when the women are coming to her talking about the thing with Ashley, she's not saying like 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 you did. Okay, yes, there's something in me that's getting triggered. And there's a resentment that's coming up that has nothing to do with Ashley. Like, let me take responsibility for that. There's something that Candace does where it's like she she gets charged and she gets heated and she kind of does these shitty things. And then she doesn't take responsibility for it. But not only does she not take responsibility for it, she doubles down. Mm-hmm. She gets even angrier. And those are the places where she'll start to get vicious and I think there's something about the chemistry of all of that where it's like wait there's something else going on here that to me 
does feel sort of energetically different than what some of the other, I mean, they all have their flavor. <laughs> yes. It's, it's different than shade. Cause I had this conversation with Monty today and I, it, it dawned on me when she said it, it's different than shade. It and is. I yeah. I feel like a lot of it is pride because I can identify that in myself. So I would rather get you, especially like in my younger, like there's no way. So again, vulnerability and it's hard to it's easy to be transparent my mom's paying my bills this you don't like it uh, so what whatever whatever but being vulnerable and saying I was triggered I was hurt Monique because you didn't have my back because you see how when Candace is in your corner she goes very hard so like that energy that may be used against you is now for you and she's looking for that in return because she never got it from her mom so I can imagine the same way her mom is easy to talk about her on TV. I can see them being in circles and, oh, Candace, she's always just so. And it's always putting her down, putting her down in front of people, putting her down in front of people. So now you don't have my back. I went hard for you with her and you don't have my back. My pride is not going to let me apologize to none of y'all because when you apologize in her mind, you're vulnerable and I'm not letting y'all get that. Yeah, exactly. And then, so this speaks to like what I started feeling today, like when I felt her in the energy of the attack, because I was feeling her. Well, first, I was watching the come to Jesus. Uh, I come from Jesus lunch, and <laughs> which again, I don't think she actually said anything out of turn at that particular lunch, but I was just watching and feeling her go to the next thing, go to the next thing. Like, Oh, you're going to say that? I'm going to say this. And I could feel it. I was like, oh my God, I'm feeling the energy. When Candace is in these moments, well, first of all, what I really want to say, I think what's at the core of all of this for her, and this is where I think she, where I think she and Monique, in a way, were coming from the exact same place in their fight. I think okay. both of them have such a deep, painful relationship to the experience of feeling misunderstood. And I think when Candace feels misunderstood, it is so painful for her. And again, I mean, look, I'm going to go back to her relationship with her mother. I, I just hear this voice. It's like, don't like I love you and I have good intentions and like, don't make me wrong. Like, don't yes. turn all my words against me. Don't turn my actions against me. Like I'm sitting here trying to love you. And it's like you just turn it all against me. And so I think there's something so painful and heartbreaking to her and for her about me being misunderstood. So like in that bus ride with Sharice, where suddenly Sharice is turning it around and being like, mm -hmm. you're calling me a bitch and you owe me an apology as, as Candace, I can feel this place where it's like, I'm getting set up. I'm getting misunderstood. And to your point about the vulnerability, I think that place for her is so vulnerable and I think it's one thing to experience it in relationship to her mom but when she's experiencing mm -hmm. it in relationship to these women you know she does not trust them rightfully so and it's this thing of like if I show or am in this vulnerability in front of them like who the fuck knows how they're going to terrorize me how, yeah. the, how they're going to turn that against me no fucking way am I setting myself up for more of this and then I could I, I mean I'm in it right now I can feel the way it's like I'm grabbing the closest thing I can get to hurl back at you because if you're going to fucking attack me in this 
deeply vulnerable place of being potentially misunderstood. It feels for me as Candace, like it really is about survival. It feels like I am being attacked. And so like you're saying, I am going to attack you before you can attack me. And with Candace, it's like, yeah, I am going to grab the nearest cruelest thing off the shelf mm-hmm. and throw it back at you because this is how I'm protecting myself because I refuse to sit here and set myself up to like be vulnerable in that way with you. And I just could feel like, oh, this this is what's going on with her. And this is why she doesn't get it. Like she thinks she's just defending herself. Yeah. yeah. I don't think but, she, yeah, but you go ahead. No, you're right. It comes from a, a deeper place. And it's almost like if I sit here and let them do that and then they're laughing at me yeah. and they're making fun of me and they're, and I have a feeling that's how she probably survived growing up. She talked about going to a school in Atlanta, but she was in a white neighborhood. So she was, you know, talked about she was black, blah, blah, blah. So she learned to with her mouth. Also, when you have a mom and she said she's sitting at dinner at 10 years old and her mom's telling her, diagnosing her as bipolar. Oh my God. I can imagine after years of that. And something you said, you said, you said, Candace and Monique coming from the same place. And I remember saying last year that they actually both have the same story, even though they look different, like to the outside world. Candace grew up in this privileged area. She should have had everything. She had money and Monique didn't have that growing up. And she went to an all white school and the kids made fun of her. Then she went to an all black school and the kids said she talked white. So her mom taught her if she thought somebody was coming after her or coming to fight her, you grab them by the head, you bring them down and you beat on them physically. That's what Monique's mom taught her. Mm. Dorothy taught Candace, probably not on purpose, just what you said. You grab the closest thing and you throw it back at them. She just uses words. Well, it's so interesting, right? Because you hear people say that Candace uses her words as weapons and that there's yes. kind of a violent energy in it. And I didn't even make that connection. Like, that is what it feels like to me. It's like I'm grabbing this object off the shelf and I'm hurling it at you. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, just kind of staying with this um, this kind of experience of feeling misunderstood. And, and actually, it goes back to your point about the apology. It's like, I think for Candace, there's something vulnerable for her that she did get charged and heated around Ashley, kind of went too far with it, right? Because if she's coming from this place, it's, it's, uh, hold on, I want to feel into this because there's, I can feel there's like specific language that wants to capture this and I'm just trying to feel it. It's like Candace is coming from this core place of I've been misunderstood People won't see and hear me. And there, there, there's a place where that's true and that's real for her. But then through that lens, I'm getting triggered by Ashley. I'm kind of projecting something onto that that's not really about that, but it's connected to this core wound. So when people are asking me to back off and to essentially, I mean, not that they asked her to do this, but in spirit to kind of say, no, Candace, acknowledge you're the one who's wrong here. You're overreacting. You've got the big mouth. You've got to say you're sorry. To your point, I feel like that could trigger in her that sense. Well, just one, it's like if she were to surrender into that and to say, yeah, like I I, I was charged. I was heated. I was wrong. I'm sorry that it just feels like a betrayal 
to that part yes. of her that was never seen and heard. Even though this situation has nothing to do with that original experience, I can imagine it would feel like self-betrayal. Yeah. And that it just speaks to that place of like, why I'm not apologizing for this. Like, right. and now I apologize. So now I'm not even protecting myself when no one else would protect me. Now I'm not even protecting myself and I'm letting myself be vulnerable to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, this is the bind she gets in. And I think where she goes left is that she, yeah, she will get charged and triggered in situations. I think sometimes that don't really have anything to do what's really going on emotionally, which by the way, we all do that. We right? all did. Right. Right. And I think, I think a huge part of this, and I, I don't know if I'm biting off more than I can chew because oh, there's so much we could get into, but I do think for me, so much of this does come back to what I experience in her as a deep reluctance to really get clear and current about where she actually stands with Dorothy. Although it feels like it's happening more now. And I also want to say, I think part of why I'm enjoying her more this season, I, I, there is a shift in her. And I want to say she Mm -hmm. gave me a, a real fucking apology that was vulnerable and that was transparent. And that was part of what, when I was just like, yeah, I'm liking her this season. Like even like, look, you can say Mia took the high road. She's the one who initiated the apology, but kind of like what we're talking about with Karen, it was kind of like, I mean, whatever points for trying. It was kind of a bullshit apology. She didn't really take ownership of where she was coming from and her messiness. Whereas Candace really dropped in and it was like, you hurt me with that comment. And so now I'm on the attack. So I want to say like that to me, that's the work for, for all of us, but for Candace, but going back to what I was saying, I think historically Candace has been so reluctant to let herself really know how things are with Dorothy and to really draw some hard lines. I mean, even that scene, like the season when they were walking around the house and Dorothy was weighing in on the furniture, which I want to say like, if, if that were the worst of it, not a big yeah. deal, but I think on top of like just like like you were talking about, like when you talked about she was di- not diagnosing her as bipolar at ten, like mm-hmm. I'm like that's invasive. Again, to the point, it might just be words, but those are invasive words. And if you're a little Canis and you can't say no to that, you're getting energetically invaded by your mom. And so then that's the foundation. All those little digs. All the little comments about the furniture, the lamp, the wedding dress. I'm sorry. I don't think Candace has been in true reality about how deeply this is hitting her because I think some part of her just has wanted so desperately to hold on to mom. And so I guess the last thing I'll say about this, I think that's been the place in the past where it's like, so then of course she can't let herself know, hey, this is why I'm getting so charged and triggered because it's like, it's like she can't let herself know that rage. She can't let herself know that grief because if she does, then she's going to have to know, shit, I got to like have some major bound. I've got to give something up with this woman. And that is so heartbreaking to me. And I don't want to do that. And I think because there's the fear of if I draw hard lines and boundaries, there's a chance that my mom won't fight for me. She'll just walk away. And then what? And then I don't have anything. I also feel like culturally, from the time we're younger, Black people are taught, you respect your parents. You respect your parents. And the way that you respect your parents 
is you listen to what they say and you don't talk back and you don't get a voice in your house. So you listen. I can give you an example. I'm 44 years old and my husband and I just bought our first house. We'll be officially in December 8th. So we're changing some things and we're ordering things and we're ordering furniture and painting walls and we're in love with this house. And I said, I'm going to get the art that I've always wanted, the black art, right? Oh, I love that. So I have a mask oh, I, it's over there, but it's just a picture. You can't even see. It's a, a black girl with her shoulder, like a shirt off her shoulder, big hair, and she's sipping tea. And the mask says, I'm just going to sip my tea and mind my business. So in this painting, she has on a t-shirt and it's long. So you don't see anything. You'd like to see maybe like her kneecaps, maybe a little thigh in her leg. She's holding up a book. You don't even see her face. You see hair. So I saw exactly where this needs to go in the house. Then I sent it pictures to my mom. And I said, this is going in the dining room behind the table. So my mom texted me back. Is that painting going in the dining room? And immediately I could feel young Taria like, because I know what's coming after that question. So I said, yes, it's going in the dining room. She said, oh, because I have some thoughts. The picture feels a little casual for the dining room. I don't necessarily think casual was what she really meant. I think because you could see her legs, maybe. I just know what I felt. She said, just my two cents, laughing faces. I think this feels a little casual. Maybe you consider putting it in your room, blah, 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 blah. So immediately my body tensed. I'm 44. And I sent back laughing faces. And then I said, no, that's not enough. And I made a conscious decision and said, I don't mind your two cents. Ha, as you said, ha, ha, ha. But I have every feeling that when you come over and see it in the dining room, and see it in the dining room. What I'm saying is it's going in the dining room. But I had to carefully phrase it because that is my mom. And I was taught that you don't really push back. And in my older years, as I've gotten older, I've found that we're friends, but there's still a line that I still don't necessarily cross with her. And when I do cross it, it's like, okay, I know we're not going to talk for two or three weeks. And I really don't like that because we talk like every morning. So I'm very careful. And I just say, oh, well, you know, I mean, she knows I'm an adult. She knows how I feel. So those kind of things I can brush under so I can feel Candace on that, even though we're both grown in the black community, we can say, you got to make hard choices, cut your mother off, go to therapy. But we're taught blood is thicker than water. You're not going to cut your mom off. After all I did for you, I worked my butt off so I can provide this life for you as an adult. And you think you're going to cut me off. You owe me. I can say what I want to you. I told my mom one time, you don't ever tell me you love me. This is years. Like when I was a teenager, she said, I don't have to. The way I show you I love you is you have a roof. You have what you need, what you want. I take you places. I get you what you need. That's how I show you I love you. So in a way, I feel why she wouldn't cut her mom off because in those moments that you see they enjoy each other, I think she holds on to those moments and hopes that it can, can get better. Now, me and my mom are nowhere near like that. I call my mom my BFF, you know, just the BFF that's still my mom. But I feel like with Candace, she feels like her mom has the capability of just walking away from her. The more you talk about her energy, it's very recognizable mm -hmm. to me. It's not foreign. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, even when you mention the notion of 
drawing a firmer boundary, for example, with your mother in the texts. You know, I just felt that possibility, like as you were talking, of if I own my own voice, if I own my truth, there's some sort of loss of the relationship and like the heartbreak of that. And yeah, I feel that very deeply for Candace. For sure. And I think I also kind of want to bring in that moment in this last episode where Dorothy called and Andy was on the phone with her. And I just thought about that. Oh, my God. And, you know, obviously, as we could all hear, Dorothy clearly doesn't really believe that she owes Chris an apology. And I I mean, truthfully, I kind of hesitate to say this because I'm not I'm never in the business of like diagnosing people or anything like that. But there are times with Dorothy where it's like, I I don't know, I just question and wonder about mental health. It's like (laughs) this isn't just run of the mill tough mom there's something that feels a little unwell here and to Mm -hmm. me not fully in reality and I think for Candace I just yeah I feel the grief and the heartbreak of like having to let go of having to take that in and having to take the impact of what that's been like for her and having to let go of a relationship that matters to her. And to your point, I think the place where she internalizes, I'm not worth coming through for. I'm not worth giving unconditional love to. That like the child in Candace makes it a reflection of her and her worthiness of love. And that there's just a way that she's been sort of staying out of that heartbreak. Now, mm-hmm. if you want, I'll kind of go somewhere with this that I've kind of felt now You're for bringing a long time. up emotions in me. Oh. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Do you need a moment? No, you continue. No, well, you're grabbing tissue. I don't want to skip over it. No, no, this this is good. This is good stuff. Wow. You you come on Jamie's podcast and you have these amazing conversations. And then it's like your body sparks up like. Oh. Well, what's, <laughs> what's happening? going on? <laughs> what's happening? No, everything is really familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, there's two things I want to say. One, you know, and and maybe we're just going to go here now, bring Chris into it. Let me just preface this by saying, if we are going to go down the Chris road, let me preface this by saying, I'm not against Chris and Candace. I think like energetically, they feel like a good couple. I think they love each other. That said, I will say I am someone for a long time who has had issues with their dynamic. I have stuff to say about that. But in terms of like the stuff that was the conflict between them this season and feeling her desire for him to be there every step of the way. When I kind of felt around that, there was something for me in Candace around like, I don't, yeah, like I don't want to be alone on this journey. I don't want to step into my professional bigness. You know what I mean? All by my, I want a security blanket there. I want someone by my side. And when I follow that, it is this sense of like, because if, if, if he's not there, if, the, if there's not some security blanket there, and I'm stepping into my bigness. And actually, this is hearkening back to what I was saying about her agitation between season one and season two. Mm-hmm. I have to feel how alone I feel. And that, as Candace, makes me so angry. And it's almost like, and again, this could also speak to the part of like, what is it she provokes in people? I feel this part of Candace that doesn't want to fully step into the big powerful adult woman because then yes she does have to feel how Dorothy didn't show up as a mom she has to feel the heartbreak I have to feel how fucking alone I feel and it is not 
fair. So some part of me would rather be the little girl who needs Chris by her side to help manage her. Oh, don't even get me started mm-hmm. on this. I mean, I'm saying managing quotes. I get like there's management in terms of her career, mm-hmm. but I, what I see with them is him trying to emotionally manage her. That's the that part I that like. it bothers me so much. We can talk about that, but I just want to like, yeah, to stick with this point. Like, yeah, that there's just a part of her that hasn't wanted to be her own woman. So she doesn't have to feel how alone she truly feels. And every time I, picture her and feel her like on stage as like an embodied adult performer. I I feel her as like, um, this might be politically incorrect, but the imagery that comes is like a dragon woman, just like full of fire, embodied, sensual, like a strong, powerful woman who has heat and mature anger. She just feels really embodied to me in a very fiery way. And yeah, I just feel the part of her. It's like, I don't want to be alone with all this. I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to feel how alone I feel in all of this. I can 100% agree to that, which is why whenever he doesn't have her back, she Ugh. unleashes on him. She unleashes on him because she's like, I have your back. Why are you trying to be friends with this man, Michael? I have your back. And another person doesn't have mine. You need to have my back no matter what. So you're out here in front of these people pulling on me, telling me to be quiet. They're saying anything they want to say to me. And you're just going to let them say that. You're just like my mom. I have no one. I got to defend myself yet again. It bothers me so much. And it's so weird because I'm not one of those people who's like, you have to be like, I don't define loyalty as like being right or die. Like how Candace defines it with Monique. You know, I don't define loyalty like that, but there's something about what Chris does. I feel like he throws her under the bus. And I feel like, cause what I felt with them for so long, I'm going back to last season or uh, for whatever season with the butter knife. And this was when I still didn't like Candace. I feel like these are two people who both keep their energy really small. I feel like Chris has got a lot of big energy. I think he's got his own volatility. I think he's got his own rage and anger. And so it's like there's something that he does with Candace where it's like, this is how I feel about Bo and Stassi. It's kind of how I feel about maybe Sharif Mm. and Jen Shaw. It's like I get to play the part of the down-to-earth guy who gets to manage the out-of-control woman. And it's like, again, I mean, you can't see it at home, but it's like I'm kind of poking with my finger. It's like I get to, like, analyze and pathologize and, like, you're you're wild, out-of-control ways. And I get to be, yeah, like the down-to-earth guy who's got it all together. And there's a a charge and an investment I get out of this. And I, but I mean, and I want to say, I feel like they both play into it. Like Candace plays into it where she's like, I'm just the crazy woman who Chris has to manage. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Candace, what are you doing? Don't, don't sell yourself out this way. But it, it just bothers me so much. And I remember like watching Chris literally sit on her, you know, at that dinner. And I was just like, you know, again, I like to interpret things as dreams. And I was like, Chris, this is Chris, like this big white guy. Like if we take this to like a Jungian place of like, you know, the shadow, like tamping down on his own emotional shadow. You know what I mean? Of like, here she is. She's expressive. She's volatile. And he's pushing her down. And it just, 
yeah, I, I don't like it. And so then when I see him kind of like in these situations, kind of like, oh, Ashley, you know, uh, you know, I don't think you're I don't think you're that bad. It's like I don't think this is just him being pragmatic. It's like you are selling yourself, your wife out and you're playing the part of like, I'm the rash. I, I know she's a crazy little woman. I'm the rational yeah. one. And it drives me fucking crazy i just want to say to chris like where's your rage like where's your temper we didn't see it which is why that season when all we got was he was like do you remember what you text me when he called her a princess and she unleashed on him i never believed it was just from out of nowhere there is a reason that you're on this show saying how i just called you a princess and you've read every single thing she said to you knowing how she could be perceived whether she said it or not is one thing but you said something else to her that you're not saying and she's not saying because she's still protecting you to a degree that annoyed me because i was like no 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 no. this is not just candace bang la 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 and him just stepping in that's what he wants the outside world to see he wants to be seen as the only one that can manage her when they were talking about him managing her, in my mind, and I kept pushing, I wanted it to be, she has a business manager, but because she's going to school, she's acting, she's this, he helps with certain things. On on this podcast, my husband produces, and on the other one he did, and when I would have to go out and go places to interviews, he'd bring the equipment, he'd set up. And I would always say, I had a really big interview in New York. She was the vice president of a television network. And I said, you're taking off of work, right? Well, you know how to set up. And I said, you're taking off of work, right? Because I feel like sometimes my presence can be so big, but unprotected. So if he's standing beside me, he can protect anyone from trying to get at that energy or trying to drain that energy. Or in my mind, if he sees someone coming for that energy, if I go in, he's going to back me up. And that's what I feel with Candace and Chris. Sometimes you want to feel protected because maybe you didn't feel that growing up. Mm -hmm. So she's trying to get the protection from Chris that she didn't get from Dorothy. And she wasn't even allowed to get it from her dad because her mom made her feel guilty about it because of their issue. And Chris, I don't know if she's actually been vulnerable with him about it. If she has and he's acting this way. That is an issue. And those are his own demons he's battling. But the fact that he thought it was okay to literally grab her and pull her out of her seat in Williamsburg when she was only using her voice, she wasn't even pointing like Ashley drove me crazy. And it wasn't lost on me that he was a white man grabbing, like you said, this black woman. Because that was my thought, too. Yeah, I mean, I also think what's interesting is I feel the possibility, too, of Chris resenting her success. And especially if we think about him. So my sense of Chris is like, yeah, he's this big, strong guy. I think he's got a lot of strong masculine energy. It does feel to me like he's got his own relationship to anger and emotional volatility. I mean, (laughs) I start to get little psychic hits and I'm like, how far do I want to go with this? It's always so funny to me because I don't know these people. I don't know. I suddenly in this moment, I'm curious about Chris's relationship with his own mom and how she may have kind of fucked with him. And I just I'm suddenly kind of like hearing voices about like Chris, like, you know, kind of like, you know, I'm going to poke you. Oh, your energy, your energy is too much. It's too big. Put it down. I just feel like Chris, you know, regardless of whether I'm right about this stuff, like my sense of him is that he is at odds with his own strong, powerful energy. And so I just feel like if I'm Chris 
And I have internalized this message that my strong, powerful energy is bad. And maybe because it's been disowned, there are places where it leaks out in really big mm-hmm. ways. And then I feel ashamed. And so I'm Chris. I'm I'm walking around with the sense that like there are things in me that I'm not allowed to own. So then I pick this woman who's sort of like the wild card who I get to kind of like oh, you're crazy. And it it reinforces my sense of I'm down to earth and I'm normal and I've got it together. Mm -hmm. But then I'm watching her get more and more successful. And I can feel like on the unconscious level, like this isn't fucking fair. Like I'm, I'm managing my energy. I'm more successfully keeping myself small. I'm playing by the rules. But you know, the problem with someone for someone like Chris, and I think the same thing is true of Bo and many people, if you are pushing down a lot of that life force mm-hmm. energy, you're keeping yourself from your success, from your creativity, yes. from how big your life wants to be. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and that's the thing. Candace lets more of her energy flow, right? Whether yeah. she's at odds <laughs> yes. with it or not, she lets yeah. more of her energy flow. And so her life's getting bigger, right? And I and I can feel the part of Chris that's like, on the one hand, I'm into this because I get to ride her coattails. I also get to be the manager who puffs up his chest. But I'm also on some level deeply resentful because you're getting a success that I should fucking have. And it's not fair that you get to be wild and crazy and like not pay a price for it and I do and so in that place where I feel kind of a resentment and crit which I think this was a lot of what was fueling his like I got things to do I don't just work for you like I'm not just the guy who works for you you know what I mean I think that um, that's where I think that this can get toxic because if he's like bringing that resentment into this and then he's like supporting her in her workplace. It's just like, this is not. It's, it's, it's almost like a, it's, it's like the same battle she has with Dorothy. They have some really good moments. And then it's like, she comes at her. She, so it's like, Chris is calling her. You got to do this. You got to do this. You know, you got to do that. But then it's also, like you said, I have other stuff to do. I don't just work for you. So it's like a, a not even a cycle. Cause on one hand, he's supporting her. This is what you got to do this. If you want to be great. Then on the other hand, like you said, I have things to do. I work. Notice Candace visibly shrank when he came in his suit, in his chef's uh, coat to her. She, she oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, oh, God. I mean, and, and like, that's the thing. I do think, you know, I think sometimes I say these things and people are thinking like I'm declaring them like a bad, toxic couple. I don't, I actually, I, they feel good to me. I mean, I think they love each other and I, I think, think that yes. they could work. Um, but yeah, I think that there are elements of it that make me really uncomfortable. And I think it was interesting because when he was explaining his role on the reunion about like, you know, she works from three to whatever her weird hours yeah, are. Yeah, three to 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. or something. I was just like, okay, can't you like hire an assistant? You know, like take your business yeah. seriously as a business. Like have a manager who's managing the music career, have an assistant and let Chris be like Chris be Chris, Candace be Candace. But again, I feel that part of Candace that doesn't want to like individuate. You know what I mean? It's like, cause what? then she has to step into ownership of herself as like a truly empowered woman and say goodbye. And I think it's twofold also. You would have to step into who you are, which means you'd have to make some hard decisions. But also if I at least say he's managing me, then he's a part of my success. And I can say, see, honey, we did this together to help his ego Mm -hmm. because she probably sees everything we're talking about, but she's not going to acknowledge that. So if I say you're my manager, well, Chris does my schedule. Well, let me call Chris because the cars aren't here. Let me do this. It's 
if she had someone else doing that and things were working and she's things are easy and more and more successful, she's like, but I don't want to leave him behind his ego versus no, Chris, we did this together. Mm-hmm. So now she can let go of some of her guilt mm-hmm. for succeeding. Right. Because of that age old patterning of like, if I, yeah, there's something I feel here. If like, I, I have to apologize for it. If I succeed, I have to apologize for who I am. I have to apologize for my voice. You know, again, some of that feels connected, you know, with her mom. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, if I, if my getting bigger somehow is conditional on this experience of, yeah, leaving people behind, saying no, drawing boundaries. I'm going to have to apologize for who I am. There's something in her from mom. It's like, I have to apologize for who I am, you know? And so I think that kind of speaks to the same energetic pattern of like, oh God, like I'm going to have to apologize for who I am, for my bigness, for my success with Chris. So let me like bring him along. Yeah, I I 100% believe that. And when the way Candace lit up again, when she was on the phone with her mom and she was like, mom, it, it, it didn't match what we saw earlier, which is a scary thing when you can compartmentalize your rage. It's one thing to compartmentalize. I need to deal with this later. But when you have a simmering rage and you're not just pressing it down, it's like, nope, I can compartmentalize and switch to this other, hey mom, it was completely opposite of who she was earlier. Well, that's a whole other thing. I think about this a lot. I think about the Real Housewives who bring on their problematic parents to the show and it's it's something I don't know I just I don't like I notice I don't like like when Aviva brought on her mm. you know we, was fa- weird father George when Whitney brings on you know her drug addict father uh Candace with Dorothy it's it, I always just feel like kind of to your point it feels like two things both of which I'm uncomfortable with one of which is like I'm gonna kind of bring you on TV so all the world can see like how much of an asshole you are and it's going to kind of vindicate something in me which that feels kind of shitty to me but then there's this other flavor to it too of like the charge I can feel they get from their parents bad behavior and I mean on a certain level like this is good TV it's good for a storyline but it also feels like it goes deeper than that like that there's part of you that really sort of like I don't know what I want to say. I don't know if it's like takes pride in it, but it's like this monster. It's yeah, they're a monster. They're a monster in my corner. You know, like there's my monster. Yeah. There's just some sort of, you can feel it. There's a sort of thrill they get out of it. My mama don't play that. You know, it's like, it's like one of those things almost like it is apps. There was, there's no way that I would bring my parents on to absolutely try to embarrass them. Candace's sister doesn't play those games with her mom. We saw that when they those three were at a winery, maybe the last season or the season before. And her mom was very much like saying something. And the sister was like, I'm not having it. Candace told a story on her podcast and it was so telling. So she said, growing up, her sister struggled with acne. And so her mom took her to the best dermatologist, put her on a regimen. Her sister goes off to college and she gains just a little weight, but she still looks great. But her acne has come back. So instead of saying, hey, are you doing what you should be doing for your acne? It's, ooh, you, uh, did, did you gain weight? Um, what, is, what, what, what is your face regimen like in college? And the sister said to her mom, you don't get to ask me about those things anymore. They're my things. It's personal. It's invasive what you said. You don't get to ask me about those things. And her mom was upset. 
but her mom respected it. And Candace really couldn't kind of understand like, wow, my mom actually accepted that. But if it was me, she wouldn't have. There's a few things I want to say. One, I want to say, I'm aware we've been recording for over two hours. So oh my I feel God. Like, yes, we got it. Yeah. I don't we know how long my listeners are willing to hang out. Right, on right, the right. But I feel like we only got halfway through the exploration right. we could get through with Candace. But I want to like yes. speak to what you just said. Because it brought up something so strong in me. And this is around the conversation of self-responsibility. And it's a a sophisticated conversation. But what I suddenly felt is the place in Candace. But I want to be clear. This isn't just about Candace. We all have this in our different ways. I feel the part of Candace, the part of her that holds on to this relationship. But in the place where she's holding on to this relationship, the part of her that fucking loves it that loves it because you're right like there's a choice like her sister drew a boundary and yeah. i can feel that part of candace i don't know what this is i just i fucking love this tussle like i love the heat of it i love the energy of it i love the charge i get out of this i'm special here you know i'm mom's special little girl like i can just feel this part of her that absolutely loves it you know we call this the lower self and so I'm just bringing this in because, again, we all have this. It truly is one of the most powerful things to explore. I mean, for anyone listening, if there's something in your life that gives you pain or you don't like and you believe in the idea of self-responsibility that we're creating our own realities, mm-hmm. just try on this sentence for size. I love being broke. You know, I love (laughs) being in this difficult relationship and just see where it takes you because when you can connect to that part of you, it's one of the most empowering things because that is true self-responsibility. And I also want to be clear, it's one part of us, right? There's other parts of us that hate being broke. There's other parts of us that want to be free from mom, but there are parts of us that love this. It's almost too like sometimes you get a chart, like when you just said people... Yes, we all want money, but there's a part of you that's like, oh, I love being broke. Like for whatever reason, that situation, because it's almost uh, you get a high when you rescue yourself. So it's like I'm in this situation and now I've rescued myself out of it. I have cussed them out and I've defended myself. I stay true to myself. The high only lasts for so long, even if you don't show it to other people. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many. I mean, it's, it's, you know, each person's different, but there's so many different flavors of it. But like, yeah, like when you started talking about it, I could I could feel a voice that says, um, you know, if someone's broke, it's like, yeah, I get pride out of this. Like I look at how I make it work. I yeah, like I get this sense of honor that like I fucking somehow survive even though I'm broke all the time. It's like, yeah, there's a hubris there or it's like. This is, I mean, one of the big ones that can come through when I'm working with people is like, you know, this is how I kind of punish my parents. It's like, see, see how much I'm struggling, see how much I suffer, you know, like it's a big one. Like, I don't want to be successful because then it lets my parents off the hook or it lets someone off the hook, you know, so I fucking love being down here. I'm going to like hold this over their heads till the day I fucking... (laughs) die you know and i'm laughing because it's pleasure i mean this is what i'm saying it's like pleasurable they get you know? pleasure out of it i I've, I've i've literally saw an individual in my head when you said that because i know someone exactly like that and i'm watching them thinking the way you could be enjoying your life exactly 
Exactly. Exactly. Well, because the ple- like the negative, the pleasure gets rerouted into negative underground pleasure, right? And you know, again, this is because we learn somewhere along the way. That, you know, we can't have our pleasure. It's like we get conditioned for whatever reason. So you know, obviously, Candace learned. I'm not allowed to let my energy flow and, you know, have my pleasure because I pay a price for who I am and I pay a price for my voice. So the pleasure energy gets pushed underground. But that's why in my work, I support people to bring that to consciousness because that is the energy of your pleasure. And like you're saying, that could be the actual pleasure you feel for like life in a constructive way. It's almost like makeup sex, I will say. When you said Candace gets to be the little girl, but then if you notice after her and Dorothy go through a big blow up, all of a sudden they're close. We got through it. Well, I mean, you know, that makeup sex with the partner. It's like, I know this is toxic. I know this fight is awful. Oh, but then the makeup sex and I'm the center of his world and I'm getting all the attention that I've ever wanted, even though, you know, it's only going to last for this short period of time. Well, because it's interesting you say that because I always think back to the way that um, Candace and Dorothy bonded after the Monique thing. And I thought it was so twisted. It's like you, you are going to your mother, the woman who hit you with a handbag. God knows Mm. what else is been going on that we don't know about and that feeling and i wasn't gonna say but i think there's a lot more going yeah you know and it's like now you guys are like bond you could feel like you could feel candace loving that bond in that moment Mm -hmm. and now i've got my mother's love i've got the sick twisted mother's love and it's just so interesting that you kind of likened it to makeup sex because in the place where dorothy it does feel like there's something invasive about her energy. Like, I just wonder about Candace's relationship to feeling in a way violated and kind of like, yeah, that there's a kind of, even though obviously I don't think there was any kind of like overt sexuality right, in the relationship, right. but there's a kind of, there's an invasion and there's like a closeness that doesn't feel good that I can't push away and certainly energetic boundaries being crossed And there's a term for this. I mean, they call it covert incest, emotional incest. But it's just interesting that you brought, you likened it to makeup sex. And then I was sort of talking about tussling. And there's just that quality of heat that probably in a healthy scenario is not in the (laughs) mother-daughter relationship. Relationship. And, and, And then after it's all said and done, Dorothy leaves her mark. It's almost like when you... You know, you have a pet. This is my territory. Like when Dorothy came into her house and was talking about her furniture, but looking her in her eye, it's almost like that dog pissing on the floor, looking you in your eye. And I'm going to leave now. And that's why I think if like Candace got really honest, and again, I think she's starting to, I think if she got really honest about the impact that Dorothy really has on her, that relationship would be looking a lot different. I said this on my, I think I said this on my solo podcast, but I was sitting there like, why is Dorothy at the video shoot? Like, yes, why yes. is this woman even at the video shoot? You know, it's just like she shouldn't be there, there in the first place. And you know, she always felt like she should be the housewife. I cannot remember if it was on the show or on a live something, but she made reference to it. She should be the housewife. Candace got on. Dorothy started losing weight. She hired a trainer. She did all this stuff. She co-ops her life. That's exactly what it is. She follows me. Maybe I'll DM her this podcast. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) Dorothy? It was random. 
I was like, okay, maybe she saw me say something positive about Candace. I don't know, but I will tell you this. She will get down and gutter in comments. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, as a therapist, that is not <laughs> what I would want to present. But yes. This has been, I feel like I am charged and drained at the same time. Well, it was so fun. I mean, like I said, I feel like there's so much we could get into. And I feel like there's I so know. much we didn't get into. And we need a part I, two. I, yeah, I hope I didn't disappoint you. Like, Are you kidding? You, you, um... I can see in things happening, then you actually see other things, but I never likened it to energy. So you feeling energy either corroborates what I see, even though they're not showing it, or it shows me something that I didn't pick up on at all. So either way, it's good for me. Yeah. I will say to people, and I want to give you a chance just to plug your stuff, that you, they definitely should check you out, your podcast, what else is going on, and follow you on Instagram. Because you really do look at things from a critical lens that I, as I said up top, I think it's really provocative, and I think it's just interesting. So why don't you tell people, for anyone who doesn't know you already, where they can find you? The podcast, what else is going on? Anywhere you can find podcasts. I know you guys sometimes hate when we say that, but it truly is. Anywhere you can find podcasts. I'm on Instagram at WeGo, W-E-I-G-O podcast. Twitter, T-S-F-A-I-S-O-N. Patreon, patreon.com slash WeGo podcast. And if you're like, I can't commit to that, I'm on Buy Me A Coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash W-E-I-G-O. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for stopping by for your ample time. And energy. Again, you were so flexible and gracious with our snafu last time. And you've been so flexible Please. in working with me. And I, I came into this actually feeling very tired. I, I was telling you I'm, I'm ready for the holiday break. And yeah. Uh, yeah, no, this was energizing and it was fun. So I'm so glad that we had a chance to do this. And we're recording this Thanksgiving week. So you won't hear it until after. the. Oh, yeah, you won't hear it until. I was about to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving, but you've already had it. I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> And I will see you guys next time. Bye.